Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Thank you for being here. Uh, there's a lot of podcasts in the world. There's a lot of cannabis podcasts in the world. You could have been anywhere else, but you're here with me, and I appreciate that. I hope you learned something, and I hope you pass it along to someone else that wants to learn something. Uh, today, we have Keith of Sunderstorm, uh, which is one of the biggest edible manufacturers in California, a true OG brand. You probably know best them best from their lead product, which is the Kana Gummies. Been around since 2015, so really interesting story of transition uh, from medical to rec and all the nonsense associated with that. But now they've really scaled up. Uh, they talk about automation and he talks about the technology necessary for that automation and how it's made a perfect gummy every time in terms of dosage. And that was a, a really big thing that they pioneered. Uh, it's a great conversation. And we talk about a brand and, and why the brand is still here. Why, why do people care about Kana gummies? Why do they come back to the store for more? Uh, it's a great episode, guys. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. I want to tell you a little bit more about my friends at Bespoke Financial. If you're raising money, and there's a good chance if you're listening to this show that you are raising money, you need to talk to Bespoke Financial. You've worked so hard for that equity. Don't give up that equity. There are debt options available. They're now completely integrated with Metric, which makes the funding process just that much easier. They are an automated, full FinTech platform. You're gonna be impressed when you talk to them. Talk to Judson, talk to George. You owe it to yourself, at least when you're thinking about all the different ways you can raise money. Talk to Bespoke Financial, bespokefinancial.com. Tell them I sent you. Thanks again, guys, for sponsoring. If you listen to the show all the time and you get a lot of value out of it, do us a favor, write a quick review, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you listen to it. It really helps the show. Thanks for doing that, guys. Keith, so nice to see you. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. For sure. Let's start with an easy one. What is Sunderstorm? <clears throat> Sunderstorm is a family of cannabis brands uh, located in California. Um, we're primarily known for our flagship product, Kana Gummies, K-A-N-H-A. You see the uh, tiger logo here. Um, and uh, so we're one of the largest edible companies in California. Um, we can be found throughout the state in probably 650 retailers. Um, so kind of gummies is kind of what Sunderstorm uh, has evolved over time. Uh, you know, more recently we've, we've moved to other States, but, uh, definitely a, a California OG cannabis brand. It sure is. What year did it start? What year was Connor started? Um, 2015, 2016. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah we actually, uh, acquired a small, uh, uh, gummy company and, February 2016 and had like 20 clients and have grown that into uh, the Kana that we know today. Very cool. I mean, yeah, it's a brand a lot of people listening to this are, are going to know. Why do you think that brand has persisted? Why do you think it's still here? Um, you know, we were one of the, the first companies, I think, to, to have a really high quality gummy on the market. Uh, and we did that because we invested in, in technology and automation. 
Uh, so we were one of the first companies to invest a couple hundred grand in a European gummy depositor. Um, you know, what that really means is that, you know, it's hard to get a perfect dose if you're hand filling molds, because you're going to squeeze a little bit, you know, too much on this gummy and a little bit too less on that gummy. So you're never really going to kind of get the, uh, the dosing under, uh, you know, really within a, a tight range. But when you have really sophisticated machines, uh, you know, doing that, then you end up with like a perfect gummy every time. And in fact, in 2019, we won the award for the most accurately formulated edible from at that time, the largest lab testing company in California. So, um, you know, when we talk to shops, they say customers come back because they have that repeat experience time and time again with the kind of gummies. Well, that's how you build a brand, right? Consistency. Um, of the, of the market today, are there people still hand filling gummies? Do you think that's happening? Um, less and less so, yeah. but it, do, it does happen now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's expensive, right, to buy equipment. So if you're more of a small kind of uh, custom type of, of maker, you may still be doing it that way. But, you know, the big players are all relying on technology. Mm -hmm. So tell me uh, more about the rest of the portfolio, the other products. So uh, we have a, uh, uh, a nano uh, sublingual spray called Nano 5 that you uh, spray under your tongue. Mm -hmm. Onset time is, is five to 10 minutes. Um, and then we have- uh, That's where uh, the five comes from. That's where yep, yeah. yep. Um, you know, that product may morph uh, in the future to uh, a slightly different form factor. But, you know, the one thing that my business partner and I are very interested in is, uh, is really focusing on nano delivery methods. Um, you know, back in the old days, uh, you told me that you lived in San Francisco. So, you know, people would go to Dolores Park and buy a cannabis brownie from friendly purveyor uh, walking around uh, the park. And you just never knew what the dosing was. Uh, you know, one end of the pan is going to be massively overdosed and the other end, you're not going to feel anything. I call that stoner roulette. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so <clears throat> I think the reason why edibles have really taken off, <clears throat> you know, within the industry and particularly for new cannabis users, you know, maybe someone that smoked some weed when they were in college 20 years ago, but, you know, due to the social stigmas and, you know, <clears throat> the, you know, parenting, et cetera, they haven't smoked weed. And, and now their friends are telling them that it's, something you should try. Uh, I think they try edibles because you can actually dose it really well. Um, and so we've gone from, I think, having edibles be this kind of roulette wheel experience. And, you know, you either, you know, the typical experience is you didn't feel anything then you waited 45 minutes, didn't feel anything, you doubled up, and then you ended up in a comatose state because you double dosed, right? So the beauty with, with nano is that it kicks in in like 15 to 20 minutes. So you know what you get quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that kind of technology is making edibles much more accessible to you know, your general cannabis consumer. Well, that kind of technology is really paving the way for scale in this industry as well, because it's, you know, you can't transport anything across state lines and it's very hard to replicate uh, cannabis flower in other states. But if you have a manufactured product like this, must have been much easier to get it off the ground in other states. No? Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, in a way, I mean, we don't actually cultivate the flower. Um, 
we buy either a live resin or a distillate, you know, kind of the, the you know, the cannabis oil. Yep. We're a food manufacturing and distribution company. Uh, we just happen to be in the cannabis space. Oh, got it. Okay. So tell me about the, the rest of it. There's this new um, wind cannabis vape that I'm looking at. I never had a chance to try. It looks interesting. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So uh, wind vapes are a, are a distillate vape, but what we did is we tried to be as true to the terpene formulation of the original uh, flower. So we would do really intense <clears throat> terpene analysis with labs and then try to replicate that kind of flavor in uh, uh in in the vape itself um so that's kind of where where wind has come from i will say that we are predominantly kind of gummies when you look at kind of our revenue uh, overall as a company sure but obviously <laughs> trying to change that right um how yes. do you get market penetration with something like a distillate vape you know uh it's challenging actually uh yeah, sure. yeah. you know i think what we're seeing in california is that the market's maturing fairly quickly um, you know, I think consumers have their favorite brands and that brand loyalty is really, you know, we're not at the end of that game by any means, but we're in the middle of that game. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why Kana Gummies does well, because we have a very loyal following uh, of people that only go in and purchase Kana. And so uh, I, th I think it's more and more challenging for a new brand to come into a more traditional space and capture enough market share to be, you know, one of the leaders in the space. It has to take some kind of really new technology, new, new format. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about getting into stores today? Um, it's sort of changed a little bit as the MSOs and sort of big investors buy groups of dispensaries. And then maybe they only want to sell their own product or their own gummies or whatever. Um, are you encountering that? Has it gotten harder or what's the landscape look like? That's a great question. Uh, I think it's different state by state, depending on how mature the state is. I would say in California, consumers are used to walking into a store and seeing the leading brands and having a pretty significant uh you know, brand portfolio that you can choose from. Um, you know, you walk into a 7-Eleven uh, or take a CVS, right? They always have the house CVS formula, but they're going to carry the leading uh, purveyors of that particular product uh, as well. So it's, it's really a both and solution. So I think California is a both and kind of state. Uh, it's more challenging when you head east to limited license states, you know, states that are just coming out like Ohio and, and states like Pennsylvania, I think the MSOs that do control the licenses in those states, you know, are prob probably selling 60 to 70% their own brand. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at pretty much how, you know, CPG has, has evolved in different industries and different, you know, parts of the, the country, people want choice. So uh, it'll all end up being a both and game, I think, in the end. So like you just mentioned, a lot of California brands have this idea that they're the best and that the MSOs are all going to buy them or, you know, they're going to be the number one selling Listerine strip in New York, whatever. Um, you see that happening? Uh, you know, is East Coast not just going to create their own stuff? Um, I think, again, I, I, I do think you're. You're, you're on an interesting point, which is when I look at kind of how I see 
the cannabis game play out over the next three to five years. Uh, you have very strong West Coast brands that have been in a very competitive market, California being the most competitive. And so it forces you to really improve your game, innovate faster, uh, have better quality products. Um, on the East Coast, when you've got limited license markets, I think the MSOs are kind of dominating the retail game um, and have every interest in kind of being vertically integrated uh, everywhere from growing their own oil to extracting to making their vapes and making their edibles. And for a time period, they're going to be able to get away with that because consumers are not very sophisticated in those states. But when those consumers begin traveling to Colorado or Oregon or California, or probably Nevada would be a great example because, you know, so many people go to Vegas for, you know, a three to four day weekend and they begin, you know, to, they walk in and they see the type of choice you have and the quality of the products. Uh, eventually they will demand better quality products. So the question is, can the MSOs continue to evolve their brand portfolio? And I do believe that they will. Uh, and there's also going to be plenty of room for the top West Coast brands to also have a piece of that pie. So again, I come back and thinking that it's a it's a both and solution, uh, not an either or. I think that's really well said. Um, so many cannabis brands today have a celebrity endorsement. Um, I don't know how well that's going to work and whether their products are sustainable. But this is something you think about like, hey, I wish we had. I don't know, Jessica Alba <laughs> eating our gummies, whatever. You know, uh, I think if you were just starting out in a, in a field as crowded as you are today, you need to have kind of some kind of differentiator. So I, I completely understand that orientation. <clears throat> you know, we've chatted with a few people that wanted to do celebrity brands. Um, you know, they just want to put their name on it. They do not understand how massively challenging the whole manufacturing distribution and sales of cannabis products is it's incredibly complex and challenging. So I would rather, if I'm going to build someone's brand, I'm going to build our own brand given all the work that goes into it and not uh, build a celebrity brand. I think that's well said. And you guys have such a history already, right? That there's a maybe less need for that. One of the other things that's um, sort of evolving uh, especially in California, is how consumers get their product. I mean, forever, it was just dispensaries. That was it. The retail had all the power. But today, there's delivery. Um, and then furthermore, there's D2C, right? There's a, a, a direct consumer option there. Um, what are your thoughts there? Is that something you guys are doing, you want to do more of? So we've definitely uh, have focused on, you know, delivery services. You know, we're on the Ease platform and have done uh, really well. Uh, you know, so they've got a, a big following. We recently went up on Grassdoor, which is another uh, kind of big delivery service. And uh, interviewed know, and him doing... last week. Interviewed him last week, Grassdoor. Great. Yeah. Great yeah. service, great company, what they've been able to do. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. You, you know, we've literally only been on there for three weeks and we're crushing it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm really excited to be a, a partner with them. Um, you know, but we've got also we're we're in, you know, hundreds of delivery services that are kind of more mom and pop. And we love supporting them uh, any way that we can. So, you know, clearly the world has changed with, you know, Amazon and and, you know, purchasing, you know, generic kind of products uh, on the Web. Uh, you know, right now, obviously, you cannot mail 
you know, any product through the postal service or, uh, or UPS, uh, when that changes, that will be a massive game changer. I don't see that coming for a long time, but you know, I think people more and more are used to not walking into a, uh, a physical location, but instead doing their research on the web and, and, and pulling the trigger on the web. And does that mean that the brands that are best at marketing eventually win? You know, I mean, you said you're a manufacturing business, right? Which you totally are. But uh, is that something you guys think about a lot? You know, is that a big initiative for you? Or are you thinking we're going to let these other entities do the marketing for Oh, no, we're uh, we're 130 percent about building the brand. Uh, yep. We've got a large marketing depot, you know, department. Um, we're, you know, at the end of the day, our clients are really the retailers and delivery services. Um, so we're there to support them with our, you know, digital assets and, and, you know, social media, uh, as much as we can, um, you know, you have to have a brand ethos. Uh, you know, I think Kana is definitely very colorful, kind of bright and fun, you know, have an adventure. That's really kind of our ethos. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we try to communicate that through our different, you know, marketing assets. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, a consumer has many choices and they're going to choose a brand that they have an emotional connection with, not just a logical connection, but an emotional connection with. And, uh, and I think that's what every, you know, CPG company's job is, is to kind of create that emotional connection with your end consumer. And how do you do that? I mean, I think that's really, really well put people that are loyal to brands are passionate about them. You know, they get tattoos, they're super into it, whatever. Like, how do you create that? Um, ask my marketing department. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I mean, the thing about, you know, I'm a finance guy, right? I mean, numbers We're are pretty get black to that and question white. Next. No worries. We're going to get yeah. to that question next. That, that's pretty black and white, right? Marketing is such a subjective and far more challenging area to really, you know, delve into, you know, we have meetings and, and everybody around the table has a different opinion. And we obviously arrive at some, you know, mutual consensus that we all can live with and move forward. Um, but it's, uh, it's challenging. So I think, I think there's a lot, many different ways you could do it. Clearly, you know, your art, it's going to kind of be read in a certain way by consumers. Your, your messaging uh, is going to be, you know, basically connected to by consumers in a different way. So there's, there's so many different layers, but, uh, but it's challenging, but also exciting and fun. It's our, it's our job. Absolutely. Um, I'll ask it from a finance perspective. What's an appropriate percentage of revenue to spend on marketing? So I, uh, Typically, you know, something around 10 to 15 percent uh, mm -hmm. is probably in that camp. More mature industries can get away with a lower marketing budget because, yeah. you know, you, you're not competing against that many players. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, newer, newer industries, newer markets are going to be at the at the upper end. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we've actually been at the upper end of that band uh, the last couple of years. So really believe that this is a time to invest in marketing, in brand building. Uh, not only in California, but nationally. Mm -hmm. um, so what we alluded to is that marketing and brand building is not cheap, right? It's, it's not an inexpensive thing to do. Take me through your, your money raising journey uh, a little bit. And, and um, how has that been for you? Tell, tell us that story. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, we started off way back in 2015 and 16 with kind of friends and family. And my business partner and I put in about a third of that capital to kind of get it launched. Um, then we did basically a series of convertible notes. Um, but it was mostly, you know, angel investors who, you know, put in 25 to 50, you know, maybe 100, you know, here and there. Uh, so it was definitely bootstrapping. Um, a lot of checks. A lot of checks. A lot of checks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and then we basically ended up getting two kind of more traditional cannabis funds that invested in us in our Series A in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, Entourage Effect Capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, they were called Cresco. Um, and then Altitude Fund out of New York. And so they have each had a, a uh, someone well, on our board. us, I think. Shout out to John Traubman. I think he put us together. So. Thank Sounds you. good. Yes, we love those guys. Uh, and uh, so, you know, we kind of, you know, got some bigger checks in the door, right? With uh, as we kind of scaled our business and, and took off. So I think when you're, you know, a younger stage company, you're attracting kind of that angel type investor and you really got to have some critical mass and growth, uh, you know, to basically attract the more uh, institutional investors. Um, so, uh, more recently, we, we've just raised three or four million, um, you know, in kind of a, a new round, uh, you know, primarily to kind of have working capital to expand to to other states. But, uh, you know, it's been a, a bigger challenge than I would have guessed, uh, even being a successful big brand like Kana and Sunderstorm. Um, you know, obviously in 2020, the market was in the toilet uh, with, you know, publicly traded cannabis stocks. and it was impossible to raise capital. You know, the market got better and there was a window to raise capital. And then of course, as we all know, you know, the big MSO stocks traded off hard, losing 50% of their value, um, you know, until recently. And, you know, the, the publicly traded markets really lead the private markets. If the public markets are in disarray and trading down hard, then private investors are unlikely to open their checkbook. So. Which actually makes no sense logically, but that's the emotions, I suppose, of investing. You know, it's hard because what do you actually gauge the market at? Like, what is valuation? So I think these topics are are challenging. Uh, I understand the linkage, but go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I understand the the linkage between them, but at the same time, you know, you you're running a fund, you have capital. It's better to invest in times when the market is down than when the market is high. Totally. Especially in such an immature market, right? You know, the, yeah. the value of that dollar today is is so strong, so strong, right? Um, yeah. You brought up valuations. Um, without going too deep, you don't have to expose anything. What do you think about how your company was valuated? Like, what are some big KPIs when you go raise that three or four million and say, okay, we want to go to other states? Like, what have you proven here? You know, what, what are sort of, what's the KPIs? You mentioned you're one of the top edibles. How do you measure that? However you want to answer the question, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, um, so one is, you know, third-party brand data, either, uh, uh, you know, a BDSA um, headset, headset type, of, type of number. So, you know, we're the number three edible in California, the number four edible nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, people want to invest in, you know, the brands that are leading brands. Uh, so I think you you have to in so many ways. Is that uh, dollars or units or how, how do they measure that? Uh, generally, it's uh, retail revenue. 
because uh, they can't measure the wholesale. They're measuring kind of the point of sale displays. Sure. Um, so, um, and uh, so, so that's one way, basically, uh, you know, trees also is a point of sale display in California and they've got data on their stores. So you can kind of dig in and yep. see how you're doing, you know, are you number one, two, three, you know, in these stores. So you can focus on, on which stores to maybe run, you know, more digital marketing in and, and, uh, and promos. Uh, so <clears throat> that's one way. Uh, second is revenue growth. You know, what's your trajectory for revenue growth? <clears throat> um, so I think that's a, that's a critical factor. People want to continue to see uh, top line momentum, uh, I would say. Uh, and then of course, the age old profitability, typically measured by EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA. And you know what we proved in 2020, you know, 2020 again was a year when raising capital was incredibly challenging. And we focused on being profitable so we could fund our expansion through our own operations. Hmm. And you know, we achieved a, 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 a significantly high EBITDA rate relative to California brands, uh, many of which have not yet been profitable. And, and, and maybe it's gonna be difficult to even get there. So I think Very profitability is, and, a, is a key factor. And what, what do you think made you guys profitable? Why were you able to do it better? Number one, hit scale. So, I mean, you know, if you've got a, a company doing 10 million in wholesale or 20 million in wholesale, you really only need, you know, one controller and, you know, you, know, you need a marketing department, but you don't need twice as much overhead for a $20 million company than a $10 million company. Mm -hmm. So you just have to kind of hit that, that point of scale that, that basically you're growing uh, and, and suddenly your overhead as a percentage of your total revenue is shrinking considerably. So scale is absolutely the number one factor. Yep. Um, so as you look forward, obviously more states, um, are you going to need to raise a lot more money for this company or kind of where are you today in, in terms of run rate and what's the plan? Really depends on how aggressive we want to be moving into other states. Uh, and the secondly, what what format do you want to move into these other states? So, um, you know, it's actually not crazy expensive for us to go into another state and set up our food manufacturing. We've got kind of a, you know, we set up the same process that we set up in California. So we know how to do it. We've done it a number of times. Uh, last year, we opened in three states pretty much simultaneously, uh, Nevada, Colorado, and Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. um, and so we really have been trying to digest that and kind of get that all down, uh, working smoothly, which we feel we have. So we're in the process of looking at uh, a couple of new states, uh, you know, rolling out sometime potentially later this year. Um, so that decision, what states to go into? I mean, Colorado is such a mature market with a lot of competitors. You know, how do you make these decisions to go where you go? Number one, it has to be adult use uh, and not just, you know, uh, medical. Yep. Um, if we're going to set up our own operation there, because you want to basically know that it's a uh, it's a you know a one to two billion dollar you know market uh, to make it worthwhile for all the infrastructure you have to set up you know to manufacture and and distribute it in any particular state. Um, you know it's different in in medical like we have not we've only licensed our kind of gummies in Canada so we've got a partner up there 
because we knew it was unlikely that we were going to go up and set up direct operations, particularly when COVID was hitting, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to date, we've done it ourselves, meaning we pay for our own CapEx. Uh, we manage the production. We keep control of our intellectual property and formulations. Uh, we manage the salespeople and we use third-party delivery companies of these states. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a pretty heavy lift when you're doing all that. Um, the alternative is to license your, you know, your formulations and know-how and train another party. So we're at the just beginning stages of, you know, in some of these limited license markets, uh, you know, perhaps we actually go down the path of, of licensing. So that's kind of the fork in the road for us today. You can obviously expand in many more states more quickly because you're not paying for the capex uh, and the bandwidth of people to manage manage it and set it up. So uh, kind of depends on how you want to evolve your, your business in these other states. Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's like, what do you want your day to look like personally? <laughs> you know, like how big of a company do you want to be running in, in other words, I suppose, but that's a conversation for another time, I suppose. So what's, what's next? What States are you looking at today that you aren't currently? In? You know, I'm actually not going to talk specifically about uh, the States to kind okay. of keep it, you know, under the radar, but I think there's always this trade-off between, you know, the Western States or what I call kind of more free market States. Uh, where you could go in, get your own license, you know, it's a pretty established market. You know, vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, Pennsylvania doesn't allow edibles yet. So, you know, Pennsylvania will be a big market uh, one day. It's just not there today. Mm -hmm. You know, Florida is an incredibly, you know, interesting market, one of the largest populations. Uh, Florida doesn't allow B2B transactions. So we couldn't go down there and set ourselves up as a brand, independent brand and sell to different dispensaries like other states. So Florida is its own animal. So you really have to look at each state uh, and what their rules and regulations are to see whether or not this is the right time to go in. Uh, and if not, then what are the conditions under which you think uh, you would go in there? So we're constantly kind of evaluating state by state under our own criteria. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, how about future products? Anything on the on the roadmap? Well, we're excited that this uh, last couple of weeks we launched a uh, our first strain specific live resin gummy okay. uh, in collaboration with Buddies, I which saw is that. a concentrate uh, and vape company. Mm -hmm. um, they've been great to work with. So we've got two uh, uh, two gummies that are out there as a collab. So we've got buddies on the packaging uh, as well as Kana. So it's kind of just been fun to do kind of a more of a, uh, a collaboration with another brand rather than just always doing it yourself. Uh -huh. And I think there's been a lot of fun in the marketplace around the around not only the products, but just the style in which we've done the collab. People love collabs, right? And it's it's in some ways, it's just built in additional marketing, right? You're just getting another audience and, and it's like... Uh, making a song and having a feature on it, right? <laughs> right? It's like- For yeah, sure. I mean- Someone else. Yeah. Everybody everybody has spent a lot of time and energy building their brand. And, you know, Buddies has built a great brand, very successful here in California, originated in a number one brand in Oregon, actually. Um, and so it's, it's, it's nice to kind of have our audience cross over with their audience and be able to really hit, you know, two birds with one stone. So yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's fun. Absolutely. Um, let's shift gears uh, for a moment. Let's talk about you a little bit. Um, what were you doing 
before this, before Sunderstorm, before Connor? Well, uh, lots of different things. Uh, so uh, my business partner and I, we both were uh, undergraduates together here in the Bay Area. And uh, I went and worked on Wall Street for 13 years. So I went through an executive training program at one of the big companies. I uh, was at the beginning of financial futures and options uh, in its infancy. Cool. Uh, left with my boss and took over a small broker dealer and kind of had our own bond, you know, global bond trading business. And was always more of an entrepreneur than the type of person that wanted to be at a big, big company. Um, you know, left that, uh, actually got a degree. I went, I'd say kind of the 180 degree opposite from Wall Street. Uh, I came back to San Francisco and got a degree in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness. Okay. So really uh, took time out for myself to rethink how I frame the world. Uh, I think it's very easy. We're all moving 100 miles an hour. We've got kids we need to get to school and you know work project that we need to get done. But uh, it's pretty rare that you have the time to just uh, put a pause on, on that and really think about how the world has evolved to where it is today. What kind of world do you envision for the future? Uh, you know, and really think outside the box rather than kind of constantly being inside the box. So I was very grateful for, you know, getting this degree that opened my mind to a lot of, you know, Western philosophy, Western psychology, uh, Asian spirituality, which you can kind of see by my artwork here behind my head. Mm -hmm. um, so it really, you know, allowed me a chance to also travel the world a bit, travel a lot through Asia, um, you know, and I think, Coming out of that, uh, you know, my business partner and I both say, you know, why did we really want to start Sunderstorm? And it's, we both have a love of plant medicine. I've been a user of, you know, cannabis, a very a modest user, you know, for over 30 years. Um, you know, my business partner and I are both Burning Man people. So we've had the opportunity to experiment with, you know, different uh, plant medicines and, yep. and, you know, all about really expanding your consciousness, you know, being able to perceive the world in different ways. Um, and so we feel like, you know, cannabis has opened the door for what is to come, I think, with uh, psychedelics. So we've, we're already seeing something like 50 publicly traded mushroom companies, psilocybin yeah. companies. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't think I would ever have guessed that this day would come in my life. Um, you know, from my experience consuming cannabis and, and these other uh, substances, you know, through the decades. Uh, so it's exciting. Um, you know, Super exciting. yeah, I mean, phase three clinical trials with, uh, you know, psilocybin and end of life uh, uh, cancer patients uh, being done out of NYU, um, you know, uh, uh, Molly and, and, and trying to, counter PTSD and veterans, uh, all sorts of exciting, you know, challenges. To be honest, we don't even have a, a fraction of the research in cannabis that we would have if the government hadn't been so crazy cracked down on, on the topic. Yep. Um, you know, we're at the tip of the iceberg on just experimenting with these other drugs and how they can impact human consciousness and overcome depression and anxiety and the different, you know, things that basically hold us back as, as human beings. Mm -hmm. So I think we're on the threshold of a, a very exciting time. And cannabis has honestly ushered in that change over time. Absolutely. Uh, something you're going to get involved with? Are you going to MDMA or psilocybin? Or is that industry interesting to you? 
Uh, it is for sure. Um, obviously, it would need rules around, you know, legalization and, and medical thing. But, you know, a lot of our techniques, you know, a nano gummy, you know, you could take any of these substances and put it in a nano gummy and have a great form factor. So, yep. you know, we're open to the idea, but we're really focused on on cannabis and, and minor cannabinoid products today. Mm -hmm. um, what kind of consumer are you? Do you like flowers or edibles or what are what are you into? Uh, I kind of feel like they're different tools uh, for different experiences. Like at home, I smoke flour. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know. Joints, bongs, what's your? What's your... Um, generally a pipe uh, or, or a bong. Um, you know, when I'm on the road, pre-rolls are great and gummies are great. Uh, and also vapes. And I really like the kind of the evolution of the vape market to a higher quality live resin, you know, oh. true to plant form. Um, so, you know, I would say I'm, I'm a modest consumer and I do many different, you know, uh, you know, kind of diff different products depending on kind of the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Um, How about, can I ask you? What, what, what am what I kind into? Of, yeah. I'm into everything, honestly, um, and doing this this job, I'm lucky enough to try pretty much everything in the industry and get a bunch of free sampler packs. Um, but I'm a indica flower guy, typically, um, and I smoke it all kinds of ways. But I find that the water infiltration, either from a bubbler or a bong, makes a huge difference for me on my throat and my lungs, whatever. Yeah. So I usually don't go with just a traditional like straight pipe, but of course I smoke joints and blunts and everything else. But if I really get down to it, yeah, some really good indoor indica flower and a, and a nice clean bong, I think is my, yep. my go-to, my go-to. That's very California too, by the way. I think a lot of people, other places think I'm crazy, but you know, they're like, I want like, you know, half weed, half tobacco, in a, you know, I don't know, very European or something like that. Um, For sure. Cool. Well, I think that's a good a place to start to wrap up as any. It's been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, how can we help you? Are you guys hiring for anything? Are you looking for a partner or pl plug whatever you like other than go try the products? Sunderstorm.com. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, you know, we're, we're always hiring here in California. And I, I think we are posting our jobs at sunderstorm.com. Mm -hmm. um, we are based in the Valley in Los Angeles, which is where our manufacturing and Southern California distribution hubs are. Uh, I'm in the Bay Area, the East Bay, and we have a distribution hub uh, uh, in the East Bay for all areas in Northern California. So definitely looking to hire. <clears throat> I would say go out and try our, our new buddies collab. Uh, so Kana times buddies, uh, live resin product. You know, it's our first uh, strain specific gummy. Um, has a definitely a different impact than kind of the typical uh, gummy. So I would say give that a whirl. And if you're in these other states, if you're in Nevada, Colorado, or Massachusetts, uh, you can go to sunderstorm.com and find where we sell uh, our, our Kana gummies in those states. Uh, and if you're in other states, keep an eye out for Kana because we might be there soon. Very cool. Thank you again, Keith. It's been great. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it.